This message is brought to you by DoNotAge.org, the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at DoNotAge.org and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L-L-A-M-A. Imagine a future where your mother, father, grandparent can request a vehicle that is autonomous, that comes to them, but instead of a driver in the car, there's now a, a licensed and qualified caregiver in the car. There's truly a whole nother level of service that can be provided. Hello and welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. We call it Llama. I'm Peter Bose and this is the podcast where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. This week we're at the Global Body Computing Conference at the University of Southern California here in Los Angeles. Here's a, a surprising statistic. Studies have shown that 3.6 million adults miss or delay non-emergency medical care because they lack the appropriate transportation to their appointments. In other words, they can't get a lift to the hospital or the doctor's office, a rehab facility, physical therapy, or wherever they need to be. And in many cases, that is simply for routine medical appointments, preventative medicine. That's 3.6 million people every year in the US. It's quite a a stunning number. Another reason, a big reason people miss medical appointments, even if they get there, is because they can't find parking at the facility. And it isn't just a US problem. Well, to talk about this and offer up a potential solution, I'm delighted to be joined by Dan Trigub. Dan works for the car hailing platform Lyft, that's L-Y-F-T, Lyft. Specifically, he is involved with developing healthcare partnerships to try to improve access to transport for the elderly. Dan, welcome to the Llama Podcast. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you for having me today. It's really good to see you. Likewise. I spelled out what Lyft is because we are talking here to a global audience and I'm sure I know you use obviously the service that you work for and I've used Lyft and your competitors for a long time. It's become a way of life for so many of us, but but not for everyone. So can you just explain the nature of your company? Yeah, absolutely. So so Lyft is what's described here in the U.S. as a TNC, a transportation network company, a fancy way of saying that we are a rideshare platform where anybody can open up the Lyft application today and request a ride on demand. Uh, Today at Lyft, Lyft's been around since 2012. Uh, Today we have close to a million drivers on the road in the U.S. Uh, We do well over one million trips a day, and we're in over 360 markets in the U.S. And and the growth has been tremendous uh, in the last couple years, as it is becoming, to your point, very ubiquitous and part of everyday life. What is critical to Lyft and, and where we came from as a company, you know, our DNA uh, really comes from the mission of improving people's lives with the world's best transportation. I think most people think of Lyft as, as a pure technology company, but a lot of times they, that can't be more further from the truth. We are a people company. We're all about connecting people and the interactions people have when they get into one of our vehicles. When Lyft first started, our kind of mantra in San Francisco sit in the front seat and give a fist bump to your driver. That's really the foundation of Lyft. And in many markets today, you'll see passengers and drivers uh, certainly sitting in the front seat together. So that interaction of people, that human interaction is at the core of our company. And frankly, why also serving our elder, low-income, underserved population is so important to us. Because to all those statistics you mentioned, and there's many others, 
lack of quality access to transportation is a significant burden on our health system, a significant burden for our elder uh, at-risk and low-income population. Uh, and we believe we can have a tremendous impact, uh, as we are already and will continue to do for that segment of our population. It's interesting you say that. Now, I must admit, I hadn't really thought about it, but I am often more inclined to sit in the front seat yeah. when I take a service <laughs> like yours because yeah. that social interaction is much more personal. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing just to, in terms of uh, the growth that you mentioned or, or, or where we are today, you look at vehicle ownership in this country, uh, or generally speaking, 96% of the time a vehicle sits in someone's driveway and is never being utilized. Oh, and by the way, when it is on the road, it's typically at 20% occupancy. There's one person with four empty seats around him. So for us, it's, it's really reimagining transportation. Um, I have a three-and-a-half-year-old son. I firmly believe uh, he will not know what it is to have a driver's license. Vehicle ownership in this country is usually the second largest household expense after your home. And again, going to those statistics I mentioned, most of the time it's not even being utilized. So when we think about the growth of our network in the future, uh, we truly believe that this will be uh, the predominant form of transportation. And the last thing I'll throw at you, which is pretty staggering, transportation in this country is a $2.5 trillion industry in terms of when you add up all the spend on gas, insurance, vehicle ownership, et cetera. And yet we are still just at a fraction of a percent of that industry today, uh, doing over a million rides a day. Uh, so the potential is, is, is only going to increase. And I think you've already answered this, but you are clearly much more of a, a company that, that's about taking millennials to the bar or home from the bar. Yes, yeah, so I, I mentioned that during, during the conference today. We are much more than that. And I think, you know, it's funny, we, we start, we're starting to do a lot of work with uh, transit agencies and uh, doing, we have a tremendous team at Lyft that does public policy work and government relations. And when we talk to legislator, l- l- legislators, the first thing that comes to mind a lot of times is you're just getting millennials to a bar in downtown San Francisco. How, how can you serve my constituents who are mostly 65 and older and are voting for them? Well, the truth is we can do a lot for their constituents. Those that are 65 and older, um, through the partnerships that my team and I, we work on, um, we are having a great impact there. So let's talk about the scheme, the pilot project that you're involved in with USC, the Body Computing Center here. This is, well, you give me the detail, but essentially the goal is to open up access to transportation for older people. And Lyft isn't necessarily the first thing that would come to mind when they are envisaging getting somewhere because they can't drive themselves, because there isn't a bus or there isn't a ride from a member of the family. So how are you hoping to assist them and and perhaps educate them on what you can do? Yeah, well, well, first of all, we're very excited by this collaboration with United Healthcare being a sponsor, putting up a a million dollars of funding that will go to this program and others. And then certainly uh, AARP Foundation leaning in and, and, and really kind of pushing this initiative through, you know, great, great group of folks that are working on this. To your question, what we find is many of our elders don't have a smartphone, don't know how to use all the features of a smartphone. So the natural question is, you know, how good is, is what's, what's Lyft doing here? How, how can we help this population? So this is exactly why we've developed a solution at Lyft that we call Concierge. And basically, it's just a web platform that our partners utilize. So in this example, the uh, administrative staff and, and professionals at USC Medical Center will have access to Concierge. And it empowers our partner to request a ride on behalf of somebody else. So the passenger does not need a smartphone, does not need to know anything about Lyft. Somebody working in a hospital or a senior living community or many other partners that we work with goes into this website, 
and in a few seconds can request a ride. The value proposition to our partners is, first of all, Lyft will be 35 to 55% more affordable than a taxi or livery provider, which is, frankly, the vast majority of what's being done today. The second thing is full transparency. So the partner knows where the patient, where the uh, elderly person are at all times during the trip. They're notified when they're dropped off. And finally, there's all the data and reporting we can share about the ride. So instead of paper, pen, taxi receipts, it's now fully automated through our platform. So through, for this partnership, we're going to have two options for those uh, working this stu- who will be part of this study. The first option is we will do training and we will educate if uh, there's interest on the Lyft app. So, you know, end of the day, you know, for us, we, we want people to continue using our app, all segments of our population, and we want to encourage that. But like, like we know, many people don't know how to do that. So the second option for the study will be a phone number uh, where a participant can call an 800 number. A phone number will provide. They'll say over the phone where they want to go, and then that person on the phone will use that tool I mentioned to request the ride for that participant. So there's always going to be a, a third party between the, the person actually requesting the ride and Lyft. There is an intermediary. So right now, yes, that's how it's working. And um, we work on many partnerships that lift under our healthcare group. So we work with hospital systems, payers like Blue Cross Blue Shield. Uh, we work with senior living operators like Brookdale Senior Living that all have access to this tool. And we empower them to now request rides on behalf of those they serve. The other option we have, which will be utilized too when people use their app, is we have a product at Lyft that's called a Lyft code, C-O-D-E, a code. What we can do is we can generate a unique Lyft code for people in the study or people coming out of a hospital. And when you enter that Lyft code into your app, we could control it and say it'll only work if you're leaving the address of the hospital or it'll only work if you're coming to the address of the hospital. So we geofence it. Then we can also say it's only good Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, and it's only good for a $10 lift ride. The rest they would have to pay for. So the point is, is there's restrictions we could put on these codes. So a hospital system is not giving them out, and they're going to be abused for joy rides on the weekend. But this also empowers the patient, uh, the the elderly person, uh, part of the study or wherever, to do it themselves, but also get this benefit. Because one of the key things the hospital see is paying for a $10 lift ride, the ROI on that investment is significant. If they can avoid a no-show, a missed appointment, they can help somebody get out of the hospital safer, faster, more conveniently than before, there is a clear return on that investment. And that is why uh, these lift codes uh, are really becoming a, a new form of thinking for them. You know, Many hospitals today spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, sometimes a month, on taxi vouchers. And for all the reasons we mentioned earlier, we think uh, some of the solutions we provide can be uh, a much better platform for them. So for the the elderly person, let, let's assume it is an elderly person at home, you're, you're taking out of the equation that maybe that worry factor of, am I doing this right? Do I have to use my mobile phone? Something I'm not entirely yeah. comfortable with. And also maybe the, the, the lack of understanding and the nervousness that comes with someone in a, sure. a stranger turning up at their home in a car but they're not quite sure how they've managed to find the address. Uh, for all the, the technical reasons that clearly you and I and a lot of people understand, it's, it is just something that some people can't grasp. So you're taking the, I mean, I would describe it as the worry factor yeah. out of it. Yeah, I think that's, that's a great way to, to put it and really trying to simplify that process. And, you know, for us as an organization is, you know, we're just at the tip of the iceberg. And there's, there's things that we're thinking about and, and opportunities to even make that process even more seamless over time. So we do believe the solutions we have today have worked very well. And I think it's evidenced by many of the partnerships we have. Uh, But again, uh, 
we're, we're just getting started. And I, mean, I mentioned the maybe the nervousness that some people have. And I've talked to a lot of old people. People tell their children not to speak to strangers. And, and old people know that and understand that yeah. basic message in life that you've got to be cautious who you interact with. What have you done or what can you do to, to reassure people that it's really okay and that there is a, a level of, of monitoring and, yeah. and, and checking and rigorous checking in the, in the case of what you're doing? So a couple of things, just on, on the pure human interaction side, you know, unfortunately, I can't sit in every single lift ride and control how drivers treat, treat passengers. Uh, and, and doing a million, over a million rides a day, it's, it's very difficult. But what we can control at Lyft is how we treat our drivers. So, you know, one simple thing I always ask, tell people, get into a rideshare vehicle and ask your driver who, who they prefer to work for. Because many of them work for many other operators, not just Lyft. And nine times out of 10, they're going to tell you they prefer Lyft. And the reason why, when you ask them, is simply because of how we treat them. Lyft was the first rideshare platform to allow for tipping through our application. We've paid over a quarter billion dollars in tips to our drivers since we've started. Simple things of communication with drivers and how we approach them is very different than our competitor. And therefore, if we treat our drivers as best as we possibly can, we know that's going to be reflected on the passenger experience and how they treat passengers. Now, concretely, what we do that really differentiates ourselves, all our drivers go through rigorous background screening. So we at Lyft use a service called Sterling. Sterling is FBI accredited. Fortune 100 companies use Sterling. All our drivers go through that background screening process. We do quarterly DMV checks, 19-point vehicle inspections. Something very unique to Lyft is we meet all our drivers, and they go through a mentorship program. So our drivers sit with somebody who's been a driver for a while, learn what it means to be a Lyft driver, and they can't just simply become a driver over, over email. The other key thing or, or unique thing about Lyft is we have uh, our second largest office in the U.S. is in Nashville. In Nashville, we have close to 500 uh, dedicated Lyft employees. That's our 24-7 critical response and customer support team. So a driver or a passenger can reach somebody 24-7 if anything happens. Things are going to happen. Uh, you know, we're in the people business just like any, you know, things happen in hospitals and any uh, people-centric uh, business like ours. The question is, too, is how do we, how do we react? Uh, so, uh, for example, we have a rating system on all our, our rides. So a driver uh, can give a rating on a passenger and vice versa. A passenger can give a rating on a driver. If a driver's rating falls below our uh, 4.6 on a five-star rating system, we investigate. We find out what's going on. We have a zero-tolerance policy. So if a passenger reported that there was swerving, alcohol, anything to do with that that might be suspicious about a ride, we immediately deactivate the driver. So there's nobody without our technology and a national network like ours that can do things like that to really ensure the quality of our network. And that's why, you know, because of all the things we, we do, uh, we have such a focus in healthcare because we think our solutions speak very well for the healthcare use cases. And the healthcare implications here, and especially as they apply to longevity, have a lot to do with the fact that you are aiming to get more people to those hospital appointments, doctor's appointments for preventative medicine. This isn't necessarily critical care. These are those appointments that just might get overlooked but are actually in the longer picture very, very important. Yeah, those the, the PCP appointments or people getting to a primary care physician for even simple things is critical. And studies have shown that those who do not make those appointments, the long-term effects are significant. And for the health systems or even the payers who might be subsidizing these rides, there is that clear ROI there. It's that fact that they know if they avoid that missed appointment or that no-show, uh, there's a better likelihood that that person will have longer longevity and better success by making those critical, you know, even those early onset appointments. 
Now, the other thing too is though, is we are helping even beyond that. So for example, we do a lot of work with dialysis patients. Somebody's on dialysis, they typically have to go to a dialysis appointment four or five, maybe more times a week for their treatment. And transportation is critical, especially for our low-income and underserved population, uh, where they, they live in transportation deserts, where there's you know, really no good source of public transport. So we are even going beyond those PCP appointments, and in some markets, too, doing even wheelchair-accessible vehicle rides and door-through-door transportation. But certainly for this pilot, our work with ARP Foundation and USC United Healthcare, we're going to be focused on ambulatory curb-to-curb trips. But for us, too, it's how do we uh, continue to, to grow our scope and ability to serve everybody. What about the fact that, I mean, obviously a lot of these appointments, as we've said, are preventative medicine. The, the individual isn't particularly ill, isn't at all sick mm-hmm. at, at the time. But there might be cases where they are sickening for something, and especially if it's a dialysis patient. There could be health issues at stake there. And you have a driver taking them to that appointment. Does that driver take on certain extra responsibilities that perhaps you need some training for? Yeah, so the the core network of drivers we have is serving our entire population. So whether it's a healthcare-related trip versus another trip. And that's why it's critical in our partnerships. When we walk into these partnerships, like this one too with uh, the ARP Foundation United Healthcare, we're not suggesting we're going to be a fit for 100% of the population, our core network today. We are, again, focused on those ambulatory curb-to-curb trips. Now, a couple of things to point out. In this example and others, there's an administrator who's requesting these rides and is a filter. You know, is this patient, you know, does this patient have early onset dementia or cognitive impairment? Certainly would not make sense for them to go into a lift by themselves. The other thing to point out is there's no additional cost for more people to get into a lift. So a family member, a caretaker, a caregiver can always be with them, sit in the backseat, attend to them, and provide that additional support. Now, as I mentioned earlier, in some markets today, we do have a fleet of wheelchair-accessible vehicles. Uh, so we work with local operators who specialize in this, uh, and then we onboard them to the lift network, and now someone has access to their fleet as well. And that's something that we're looking to, to expand. But again, you know, to answer your question specifically, you know, we're not suggesting this is going to be fit for everybody, but the vast majority of those who will, be, uh, who will need these trips, we do think we can be the best solution today. You're obviously uh, yourself very passionate about this and, and see the potential in it. I'm, I'm curious how you have been influenced by the, maybe the people in your family, yeah. parents or, or grandparents, who, and I think we all have, that have an interest in this area. You're, you're influenced by those that are close to you. Yeah, absolutely. So, so a couple different uh, angles and how I've become so passionate about this, especially elder mobility specifically. So I'm first-generation American. My, my entire family, including my sister and my grandmother, my parents, came from Russia. Uh, when they immigrated to this country, uh, we lived in New Jersey, and my grandmother lived in Queens, in Jackson Heights. And she was very ambulatory. She lived to be about 90, uh, and she was very mobile. But she was very isolated, and she would never leave her apartment in Queens maybe only once a week when my father and I would come visit her and be able to take her in our car or go somewhere. Now, imagine I would have been able to request a lift upon her behalf or her, uh, her, her health insurance provider could have requested a lift for her to get to a doctor's appointment. She wasn't so dependent on my father and I making those trips out there. Uh, so personally, being a, a caregiver for my grandmother, I, I've seen the importance of transportation. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, my wife and her family, I've known my wife for, for over 15 years now. Uh, my father-in-law operates one of the largest home care businesses in the Bay Area. So he has a network of caregivers to help folks with activities of daily living. It's an industry I've become to learn a lot from, uh, from, from just observing his work on a day-to-day. 
And because of that experience, I started a company before I joined Lyft that was in the elder care space. We, long story short, created Hotels.com for post-acute care. So helping patients at the moment of discharge find post-acute care providers. In all these experiences, I've always seen how transportation is such a barrier to effective healthcare delivery, uh, how critical it is. You know, we can only serve this population and provide the care they need if they can get there. The other interesting thing that most people don't realize is transportation is a covered benefit by Medicaid in this country. So if you're a Medicaid beneficiary, the U.S. government spends over $3 billion a year on non-emergency medical transport for Medicaid beneficiaries. It's a covered benefit. They have identified themselves that it's critical to get people to their appointments if they need to get the care they, that they, they need and deserve. Um, so we do a lot of work in that space as well. So there's a clear opportunity to have an impact here. And when I learned about Lyft, the mission, the values... You know, I've been, I've worked at many companies, you know, we say we're very, we're mission driven at Lyft and a lot of companies say that, but I, you truly feel that from the founding team to, to our team and the people we work with. And we're a very different company than, than others that are out there and, and very excited to have a big part in this industry. So with your background, you are, and what you're doing now, you're very well versed in the, the practicalities and I should say really the excitement of this collision, this positive collision between tech and traditional services, mm-hmm. healthcare services, something as simple as, as getting there, as getting to the appointment. What, what potential do you see for this intertwining of, of tech and medical services for the future? I think we're probably really just starting, aren't we? We are absolutely just starting. I think the, the, the future is, is, is very bright. Um, you know, one thing that's really interesting and exciting to me is this is something, first of all, today we can have a big impact. You know, there's a lot of tech and, you know, people are trying to put monitors in front of our elder population and, and, and all the analytics and data and uh, AI and all this, this great stuff. But how, a lot of that stuff is still yet to be practical. And really, it, there's going to be a lot of work that still needs to get done to see all the benefits of, of things I just described. We can have a tremendous impact today, helping people to get to medical appointments and leveraging the Lyft network. The future, you know, Lyft is playing a, a tremendous role in autonomous vehicles, uh, and we, you know, we have tremendous partnerships in that area, in that realm, uh, and you're going to be seeing a lot more stuff coming out about our work in, in that space. Now, imagine a future where your, your mother, father, grandparent can request a vehicle that is autonomous, that comes to them. But instead of a driver in the car, there's now a, a licensed and qualified caregiver in the, in the car, someone who can provide that additional support. There, there's truly a whole nother level of service that can be provided with an autonomous vehicle beyond just, you know, when you think about just a driver and passenger relationship. Uh, and then, you know, the really, the really unique thing about AV, autonomous vehicles, is being able to drive down the costs. Uh, and now uh, with that, uh, with an infrastructure in place, being able to provide access to transportation to our you know, low-income, underserved population at a much lower cost will have even that much more of an impact. Uh, so I think you know, autonomous vehicles, uh, cities of the future, and we're, trying, we're, we're playing a big role in that as well. You, know, you drive in any city in this country, and there's parking infrastructure everywhere. Half the streets are used by parked cars, and cities are literally built around highways and roads and, 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 and parking infrastructure. And that will change without doubt. You know, with more efficient networks, with autonomous, with all the work we're doing at Lyft, 
the way cities will be reimagined is, is going to be tremendous, and cities will look completely differently, and this will have a direct impact on our uh, on the populations we're talking about today. I think it's personally really exciting the, the kind of scenario that you paint and the the prospect. I mean, you mentioned your son never having a driving license, mm-hmm. and and for me, obviously, different generation <laughs> having had a driving license for a long time and multiple yeah. cars, but the <laughs> prospect of not having to own a car. Personally, I'm not a car person. I really care about cars. Yeah. I just like getting there. Yeah. And the idea of just not having to bother with the car, but still easily, emphasize easily, because I live in Los Angeles and transport isn't easy in Los Angeles. But if it were to get from A to B without using a car and not having those streets clogged with parking and all the peripheral services you need just for the, for the vehicle itself and that, is great. Yeah, and that's exactly what our founders saw themselves. You know, we have two tremendous founders at Lyft, one of which uh, grew up here in LA in this area and experienced the traffic and the congestion. He was one of the youngest people on his transportation board growing up uh, and was very f- just fascinated with uh, with city infrastructure and you know driving uh, himself and being in a car and looking around him and he's seeing 20% occupancy of vehicles around him. Uh, and, and most of the time, these cars are never even being utilized. Uh, so it, it's, it's a pretty amazing future ahead of us. Our other founder came more from a hospitality uh, and restaurant background uh, and was really about connections and connecting people. So it was a great connection uh, between the two of them to, to lead to what Lyft is today. Uh, and that vision you know, permeates throughout our entire organization. As you, maybe this is coming a little off topic for you, but I generally ask people as they envisage themselves getting old and looking at your own longevity. Do you have certain aspirations? Do you focus on your longevity? Do you imagine yourself? Maybe you could apply it to to transport in your life, but uh, your entire life, looking ahead 20, 30, 40 years. uh, What are the things that come to mind for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's something, especially now I have two kids and as I'm getting older and, uh, you know, especially my work at Lyft, I spend a lot of my time, you know, going to hospitals, going to senior living communities and spending time with those that that we look to serve. You know, I think we have a, a very bright future ahead of us. You know, certainly I think the, the work that, you know, I spent a lot of my time on um, around transportation, uh, we can have a significant impact for improving uh, the lives of our elders. And when I look at my future, you know, thinking about being able to get to a place in an autonomous vehicle is pretty, you know, it's a little bit mind-blowing. You know, growing up watching the Jetsons on, you know, on TV and, um, you know, t- some of the movies and stuff that kind of depicted this future, we're not that all far away from it. And I think, my generation, my, my, my children's generation, when they get older, uh, it'll be a whole different world. And I truly believe for the better. And, you know, there's still things we have to figure out uh, that, you know, in other areas other than transportation. Uh, but I think I'm very encouraged. You know, when I see the challenges that many of the people I, I, I work with on a day-to-day when I go into senior living communities and the challenges they face around transportation, uh, I do believe it's going to be a very different when, when, when I get to that age as well. Do you see a time as a, as a dad or a granddad maybe that you will happily give up your driving license? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I think so. And I, you know what? I, I, frankly, I, I, I gladly do it. When I think about how much time I spend in the car and um, you know, always needing to be on the computer and being productive and being able to now do other things in the car other than worried about driving, the impacts we're having around even things like DUIs. I mean, DUIs in cities are now going down, and those numbers will only continue to go down. So really saving lives, I think we can have a big impact. Uh, but for me, you know, I'm not much of a car enthusiast. Uh, I, you know, I just enjoy getting from point A to point B. Uh, and I can see a future where, uh, where I do give up the keys. And, and frankly, 
I, I hope my son doesn't have to. You know, you think about all the distractions today and being on their phone and all that. Uh, I'd rather somebody else or uh, you know, an organization like Lyft take, take care of that work for him. Dan Trigger, this has been really fascinating. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much for having me. And just before we go, a reminder that there are several ways to listen to us that you can get in touch as well. You can visit our Live Long and Master Aging website, which is LlamaPodcast.com. That's double L-A-M-A podcast.com. We're also on Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play Music, and of course, iTunes. And if you enjoy what we do, a five-star review at iTunes would be hugely appreciated. It helps us to grow the podcast and hopefully secure its future. Many thanks for listening. FlexBeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Ruud. Whenever you put the FlexBeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibres that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. FlexBeam, I keep it with me all the time. Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a FlexBeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.